Jeff, man, haven't seen you in a while. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Good. Yeah, I've kind of been. I've been really busy working on a project. Yeah, what is that? Well, I, I decided I the best way to learn Squad Leader for me would be to take the whole thing and turn it into an audio book. Oh, and then you can listen to it while you're driving, like to Montana. Right, right, or sleeping in the middle of the night. Sleeping. I could just play it and learn it while sleeping. Oh, Dave, the, how the, can the you learn it while you're sleeping. The, the mind is an amazing thing, Dave. I, it's like a sponge. Even when you're sleeping, it can absorb all this stuff. So it just goes into your subconscious or something, and oh, then yeah. you can just pull it up when you're awake at any moment? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's worth a try, but yeah. you know, how many nights to, is it going to take you to listen to the whole rule book? Well, I thought about that because the recording it was pretty lengthy, but uh, I've got a special method I think that's going to work for uh, kind of tuning everything down uh, to a more reasonable amount of time. All right. You want to take a listen? Yeah, let me hear it. Let me show you. A.1. Dice. The rules often require the use of a colored die to differentiate it from other die in use. A set of four dice of different colors is included in ASL Module 1, Beyond Valor. A white die and one of the colored dice are rolled simultaneously and some normally for most purposes. But occasionally the colored die roll will take on added significance either by itself or in comparison to the white die roll. What do you think? Can I borrow that when you're done? And welcome to another exciting episode of the Two Half Squads, the only cast on the net dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Leader. That's right. It's amazing. And I think we're at almost. Uh, hi, Dave. I'm Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Dave, your other yeah. host. Yeah. And uh, this is episode 34. And the date is March 29th, yeah. 2010. Yeah. Dave's on vacation, so I didn't know you would know. I didn't know if you would really know the date. I had to look at my watch. You're on vacation this week. You know where I went today? Where'd you go? Was to the Holocaust Museum in Illinois. Oh. And I would highly recommend it to any listeners that get out our way if you're not going to Cantini for the First Division or uh, Museum or to the uh, um, Science Industry Museum for that submarine we talked about previously. Mm -hmm. You can also might want to hit then the... Holocaust Museum in Illinois. It's in, in Skokie. Skokie, Illinois. Yeah, that just opened uh, a few months ago. Uh, about a year and yeah. a few months, but time flies, Jeff. Yeah. When you're having fun. Yeah. Um, we were supposed to go to the grand opening. You were? there. Yeah. We had tickets through a through a mutual friend, but we, then oh. we didn't go. Oh, well, actually, we went last spring, and it, the bottom part wasn't finished yet. Mm. So they gave us tickets to go back. But I took the school groups. We took them in the fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I took my parents today, and they really enjoyed it also. It's very, yeah. very moving. Oh, yeah, I'll bet. I haven't got out of there with tearing up at some point uh, on each of the three, and at different points, surprisingly, on each of the, But historically, just loaded with information, beautifully presented, mm. interesting architecturally. I highly recommend it. Yeah. I'll have to get over there. So, well, I appreciate you taking time uh, off of your vacation to come and do a show. Well, I'm glad to be here. You flew back from Florida? And boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> really nice of you. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, the show must go on. It's been a couple of weeks that's, since we did a show. And that's why I, we, I told Laura, my wife, I, we couldn't go anywhere for vacation or spring <laughs> break. We had to get a show in. And, of course, she, she said, of course. Well, of course. Of course. I wouldn't even think of it. 
So, well, we got a lot to do tonight. We're going to, what are, what are we going to do? <laughs> no, we know. We know what we're going to do. And you, you all are just going to have to listen to figure it out. So why don't we start with some listener mail? All right. Shall we? No. Well, it's good to have the real music back. Um, somebody wrote me. I, I don't know how he got my email, my other email address. Your personal email yeah, address? Oh, I've been giving it out to people randomly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I got an email uh, from a listener. Said He said uh, he really enjoyed me humming the, <laughs> the music to uh, listener mail last time. It was an excellent job. Yeah, yeah. He said, thanks for humming the reader mail during number 33. It was pretty funny and made me all giddy. Well, <laughs> I also want to let you... It, I made him giddy. I don't know. Is that good? I don't know. It, it, at least we're not the only idiots out there. <laughs> I also want to let you guys know that I look forward to each new podcast. They're always entertaining. And I really thought number 32 with John Hill was very interesting. I belong to an ASL group that meets in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Where's our bell? Oh, we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Every second Saturday each month, and all the players, all player levels are welcome. So for more information, go to www.dwac.com. All right. Excellent. We, we have one player, Devin, that drives four hours each way to play every month. How about oh. that? And he uses uh, the time to listen to the two half squads, so it makes him drive a little faster. <laughs> it says here, it makes him drive faster. <laughs> to, like he can't to wait end to get the there misery, yet. or that's is what I think. Because <laughs> he's so excited. Yeah, I don't know. That's from anyway. That's from Dennis. So I assume from uh, Albuquerque. And this in from um, Melvin Falk. He recommends that he, we. Concentrate on Red Barricades when we do our campaign game show. Uh, reason being, when you Google it, you'll come up with lots and lots of information about Red Barricades, more than all the other campaign games combined. Really? I haven't done that, and that's what he's recommending. Mm-hmm. It's the reason that his ASL interest became fanatical when Red Barricades was released in 1989. And he has a website. Am I allowed to try and read it, Jeff? Or is that- you can try that. Uh, S-T-A-V-K-A-A. R-C-H-I-V-E-S dot com. That's StavkaArchives dot com. Oh, word. Yeah. And we'll post a link there. However, some other listeners had really mentioned we might want to get an interview with the designer of Valor of the Guards. So we have listeners pushing us both directions. We'll see what we can do. Those crazy listeners. You know what? Why don't they just leave us alone? No, we don't want that. Oh. Uh, and Melvin also says uh, the last part of his... Email says, P.S., keep up the good work, and more donations will follow, because he gave us a very nice donation. And we thank you very much, Melvin. And so we'll keep up the good work, because, well, because we would anyway, but we really appreciate the donation. And got one here from uh, another person that donates generously to us, Trev Edwards from Preston, England. Hi, guys. Just listened to your latest show where you bagged John Hill for a pretty spectacular interview. It was so good. I immediately listened to it again as I sat here picking up after this week's games. It's nice to know we all think he's the greatest. That's That was a good interview. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I forgot to say, which was the original reason I wanted to write, that I was in Chicago twice in the 90s, having gone there after Aslock, and I went to the U-boat at the Science and Industry Museum. It was excellent. Um, back where I was brought up, on the Wirral, which is on the other bank of the Mercy from Liverpool, they have a Type 7 U-boat there on on dockside. It's an example of the smaller, older type. 
from the doc, uh, from the uh, Type 9, which is at Chicago. It's just like the one in Das Boat. So for those of you that are uh, near Liverpool, you might want to just run over there and take a look at that submarine. Should we do that, Dave? Next yeah, time? let's yeah. run over there. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Trev. And we got an interesting email from Tom Cundiff, and he publishes Old Soldiers Magazine. That's right. That's an uh, that's a uh, electronic magazine. He puts a lot of work into it. Yep, it's all online. It's very huge, and it deals with the classic old war games. So yeah. any of you grog nerds out there might want to uh, take a look at Old Soldiers Magazine. Yeah, it's great. It's they you can download it in PDF. Uh, you can read it right there on their website, and they cover. Game variants, strategy and tactics, series replays, new scenarios, military book reviews. They have historical articles. There's pictures. I mean, this guy really puts a lot of work into it. So if you get a chance, check out The Old Soldiers. And uh, this from Jay from Vancouver, just another new guy playing the game. We want to welcome you to the fold, Jay. And uh, he says he enjoys the extra episodes, so we're hoping, or I'm hoping you'll enjoy the tutorials also to help you get to learn the game. Absolutely. And we got an email here from uh, Brent Pollock, who enjoys our show. What else can you say? No, he enjoys our show. Uh, he liked the, uh, was interested in the John Hill interview. And uh, he says, now I'm off to cruise the archives to see if you guys have ever interviewed Charlie Kibler or Don Greenwood. And the answer is no, but he no. inspired me to email Don Greenwood, who I looked him up and found him. He's the president of the Board Game Players Association, hmm. and emailed him, and he shot back almost instantly, saying he's kind of busy right now and would not want an interview. And I emailed him right back, saying, well, maybe a couple months from now, or, you know, and I never heard back from him again yet. <laughs> so you have made it to his email blacklist. <laughs> I'm hoping he'll Boy, respond at some point. You are point, officially but... harassing him. <laughs> you know, come on. It yeah. wasn't harassing. No, okay. All right. And we told uh, Rick Reinish down at the uh, Texas ASL group that we would plug their their little, their little tidy little tournament, which is coming up here shortly. Actually, it's supposed to be a pretty spectacular tournament. Being held in Austin, Texas, June 24th through the 27th. So that's a few months away, folks. There's still time to get your... Um, Stagecoach tickets purchased, and if you would like to reach Rick, you can telegraph him at ctasl at yahoo.com. Yep. Partner. Good. It's a good tournament down there. We're not going to make it again this year ourselves, but... No, we and will. we're not going to make fun of it anymore. Well, Jeff mean, will. Texas. Jeff will. Well, why would we? We're not making fun of Texas. We're just being silly. And Jason uh, B. Honest. emailed us, and... Uh, Mentioned he might like a little example of getting shot at while placing smoke. I guess I forgot that in the tutorial, but he thought it was pretty complete. And so I'm going to have another tutorial at the end of this show with about 12 minutes on the um, larger type of smoke, which is our theme for the day. Big smoke. Big smoke. smoke to big ones. And there's some. Uh, there's a couple pretty interesting comments about just the, uh, how the concept of smoke is handled in ASL from the the abstract way it's handled in ASL compared to, you know, real-world use of smoke. So there's a couple of really good comments there on the um, in the show comments section, so check it out. There was a, We had a listener, Chris, who um, put his wisdom in there, and it's uh, worth looking at. So do that. And I think that's it for listener mail. I think so. Dave, I don't even need to tell you what time it is, do I? It's time for... 
What's up with, with that? that? Oh, no. <laughs> That's not what it's called. Oh, it's called What's in the Der Box. box. So what's in the box? What have we got for well, what's in the have, box this we time? We have two Dave. what's in the boxes now. This is one uh, that I actually went out and bought. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we decided we're not buying starter kit stuff anymore. Well, I'm not. Are You're you? Not? Not? You've decided that until you change your mind. <laughs> well, I don't have time to play them all. I know. And so I don't think we'll be doing any. But I think we should encourage everybody else to buy everything they can get their hands Absolutely on. Absolutely they should. Yeah. As I, here's an example of spending to help keep MMP afloat and to support uh, your own silly little nuanced idea of playing. Dave and I have been playing, testing HP. Yeah. Correct? And we didn't have the gray counters. And so I've been hearing that they had the gray counters in Beyond Valor 3. And so I thought, well, I told Dave about this, and because sometimes we're playtesting Germans against Finns, and yeah. the colors are really getting confusing for us. Yeah. And he said, well, you know, I would actually chip in. He goes, well, are you going to get that? I'm like, I don't know. It's like a hundred and something bucks, and you know. Well, he said I would chip in a little money because he never buys games; he just uses my games and go get those Finn counters in the right color. And so I gleefully went ahead and said, yeah, why not? You know. So I purchased Beyond Valor 3, and first thing that we see here, Jeff, are a ton of... Scenarios. Lots of scenarios. Now, when did you get this? When did it arrive? This, uh, probably two months ago. Now, that, months. I noticed the box that you're serving this up out of is an old beat-up Beyond Valor box. So that's not what they sent it in, right? No, this is my original Beyond Valor box. So my intention was to pillage out the pieces that I wanted... Uh-huh. Put in my old pieces or old game box, and then sell it to oh, someone okay. who doesn't want to spend a hundred bucks for Beyond Valor yeah. and is willing to play with some used counters. Some of them very well used, others barely look brand new. Don't some of these? Not just used, but used by Dave Kleinschmidt. By me, yeah. So actually, I put this on eBay for like fifty, sixty bucks, and no one bought it. Which no kidding really surprised me. So maybe if any listeners out there. Want to get a hold of a cheap copy? Email yeah. me. Otherwise, I'll take it to the Games Plus auction the next time they have an auction. Maybe you call Dave at eight four seven five 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 one two one two. So yeah, the old box, and I kept the new box. I can't believe nobody bought it off of eBay. You didn't even get any nibbles. No, uh, no, no watchers. Huh. I, I can't believe it because we're also going to get a Beyond Valor for that price. You know what I think know? happened is John Hill said that's. You know, advanced squad leader was a little too much, and people are starting to <laughs> sell off their well, stuff. Nobody it. wants to play anymore. So what you're seeing, Jeff, are I've taken. In fact, this this set has two sets of Finn counters. I don't know how my friend Jim must have given me his counters at some point, and I got two sets of Finns in here, blue. That's the drawback. Maybe everyone wants the gray Finns, but they'll be coming out in HP anyway. So, we do see I've bagged up all the counters. And you know what's amazing? Over those 20 years of playing this game. What? I only lost, like, three counters from the whole system. They're probably behind the couch. They probably are behind the couch. But uh, isn't that amazing? That's amazing. I only lost, like, one... Well, anyway, yeah, very, very few counters from the original set. So I pulled them out. And switched them up. Now, Jeff, take a look. What do you think now of these boards? Is there something odd about the boards? Did you you have the starter kits? Yeah, I've got the I've got all the starter kits. Yeah, and I and the Beyond Valor. Oh no, 
Now the Beyond Valor I have, of course, didn't have these boards. But what's, I don't know, what's unusual about them? They're, Do they fold properly? Well, they're a little, um, they got a little bow to them, a little spring. They're like yeah. spring-loaded. Yeah, a couple of them, they're, and they're not all that way, are they? Some of them lay flat or they all are a little... Yeah, some of them lay a little flatter than the others. But some of these just aren't, like, mushed down properly. I don't know what that is, but I guess if I sat on them for a while, they'd become really <laughs> folded up nicely. <laughs> That's and, one way to do it. Yeah. And look at the graphics on the river board. They're new. And I haven't kept the new boards in this, but now that I'm looking at these, maybe I'll switch out my old boards. Maybe you should get the Put C4 uh, board squisher. Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually going to get to that Flatten in a little while. Out. thing is, I'm not sure I would adjust to playing on this new river board with all this beautiful white uh, wavy stuff along the beaches. Yeah, they got white caps on that river. That seems a little... It's, 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 it's definitely traveling. Yeah. It's a faster flowing river than yeah. the old board. But board eight, and then they are sharper, a little crisper. There's more graves in the graveyard, I think, on board 21. I'd have to go look. But you get a ton of boards here. We won't name them all off. Oh, you yeah, there's a lot of them. Look on the website. Now, what I did find, Jeff, was plucking out the counters here. Oh, and, and isn't there a new board? No. Board 58? That's not a new board? In this set? Yeah. No? No. Okay. No, is that one going to be an HP? Or no, that was the one that came out in the Winter Offensive Pack that we don't have either. Ah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Board 58. That comes from uh, Action Pack 5. You so, just you got it mixed in here, didn't you? Good thing no one bought it on eBay. You would have yeah. got an extra oh, board from me. Board. But, you know, but see how flat players, it is? See also... how flat the, that board is? Well, you flattened it. No, no, it came that way in the Action Pack kit. Right. You keep talking. My board. I'll show you my starter kit. All right, you go over there. Now, one thing I did notice, that the, the counters punch out really well. Oh, I also still have all the Russians in here. Multi-man counters. I thought I switched those out. Oh, apparently I was giving away the new... I only took the Russian leaders and guns. Maybe I'll switch out my Russian counters. Why not? Switch it all out. Yeah, Jeff, yours is a little bit Bowie. This was from your Beyond Valor? Uh, yeah, 20. Yeah. Board 20. Yeah, right. Yeah, from version 2 of Beyond Valor. Yeah, these are puffier. But the counters from version 3 punch out really well, and guess what I was thinking I needed? A C4 corner cutter? Uh, yeah, yeah, just a few. From counter culture? Yeah, these corners. Yeah, and yeah. I started to go, oh, and I was one saying I wasn't ever used, hadn't used one, and but I could see now why. Yeah, they you know, seem to have a little extra stuff sticking out than the original counters when i punch the originals i don't i don't know why maybe they're anchored you know i think the old counters were anchored in the middle and the very are, old ones were anchored in the middle yeah my yanks are anchored, anchored in the corners the yeah. that is why makes a big difference yes so actually i would recommend that uh don't and, you get a little sad though as a guy that's been playing squad leader for so many years when you you get another module and you get a five or six counter sheets doesn't it just kind of drive you crazy that you got to punch them all out and you got to put them all away, or do you still get excited? Well, I, I still got kind of excited. And, and remember, Jeff, I had to dig out all my matching counters. It wasn't just like taking all my first-line troops and replacing them, because right. I have first-line troops from like three or four different games. Yeah. So <laughs> I had to dig out A, B, C, D, A, through, and I had my daughter and son actually doing some of them for a dollar, a dollar a unit or something, you know. So Got to put those kids to work. <laughs> But I did enjoy it, and I enjoy the crisp new counters. So anyway, I thought I'd just give that quick review of Beyond Valor 3. The fins are in the new color. Dave and I have used them two or three times already and are enjoying that aspect of it also.
Your life is so much I better. Now. I might I might switch and keep these boards too. Should I or if I'm going to buy that two hundred dollar new board pack later, or should I? Would I be better off just buying new versions of all the modules? I don't care. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'll decide on my own. <laughs> I have to be honest. I don't care. It's my two hundred dollars. Yeah. And it's kind of a little uh, bonus for the what's in the box today. I want to do a little what's in the box for this other very nice publication that we got from the folks at LFT in France. Thank Lefranc you Terrier. again, LFT. Yeah, they sent this very nice uh, issue number 11 called France 1940, which is got a great cover. You could do a review just on this cover. I, that'll be coming up once we finish the box art reviews from all the MMP products. Yeah, and we don't want to, you know get boring because we've done several of these LFT products, but they are so tasty. You can't get bored <laughs> looking at them. They're very high quality and they yeah. are very good donators to our show. Yeah. It is the Le Magazine des Fanatiques de ASL. So for ASL fanatics. And I just, I really like their, their publications. They're beautiful color. Like right here inside the front cover, they have uh, pictures of, Various members of their staff holding up the magazine in different parts around Europe, which, yeah. is, which is really cool. And I noticed this picture uh, here inside the front cover. Here's Eddie Houghton, uh, who is the official translator. Now, I think on the last show we may have said, made some remark maybe about the translation. Well, that it wasn't you know, 100% accurate, but that's wasn't that 100% very accurate. Good. But if you look at Eddie there, he looks kind of like. Um, He'd kick my butt if he Yeah, I think he that. would. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Jason Stratham from the Crank movies, and the uh, yeah, I think he could he could probably kill us both. So Eddie, we love your translations. They're we do love good. your translations. Yes, they're near and dear to us, and we're just glad you're translating it. Oh yeah, it's great. And and there were some just a few sections of this where the, that were still in French. There were a couple of little short reviews and things. But everything else was in English. Uh, I actually I should have underlined some of the English parts that were interesting. You know, like any language, it can go either way. You know, you can you read something and you think, oh, it, it could mean one of two things, but it certainly doesn't detract at all from the magazine. Yes. So don't let that don't let that stop you. So I like this because it had a really nice forward. I'm going to just read part of the forward of this, which talks about this issue. It says. Um, some words about the theme of this issue, France 1940. A lot has been said and also written about the French defeat during the May and June 1940 campaign. Sure, the German victory happened to be happened to be extremely fast, and the French army was literally blasted away, despite being, for that time, one of the most powerful armies of its era, as far as strength and manpower figures are concerned. Many people, including French citizens, still think that the French soldiers of 1940 just fled or surrendered, and for that, uh, and that for the Germans, the invasion was kind of a promenade along the sunny roads of the French countryside. Here are some figures which, in our opinion, speak for themselves. In 45 days of fighting, the daily German loss toll was higher in France than during Barbarossa. Hmm. From June 22nd through December 10th, 1941... Um, that was during that time it, the German loss was very high during the fighting for stone. The village changed hands seventeen times in a single day. The French army casualties reached uh ninety thousand k i a and 
270,000 wounded, while the German counterpart lost 64,000 KIA and 110,000 wounded. So it wasn't just a cakewalk that the Germans did through France. They took heavy losses, and the French fought valiantly to protect their country, which isn't something you really hear about. That is correct. So it gives, it gives a nice view from the other side. Yes. Which, which I really appreciated. So the forward just made me want to play these scenari- play the scenarios and play more French scenarios. Then they got a really nice introduction pages and letters to the editor and responses, which I think it's, it's always nice. That's why we like to read listener mail. I think it's really nice to see how people are liking the magazine and, and seeing the responses. Then they have several very nice pages of product reviews, all different kinds of products from all of the different publishers, yeah. which is good to see, and little, little uh, comments about what they like or what they didn't like. Rally Point, I see Schwerpunkt. Yeah, Schwerpunkt, they're all in there. Everything that was new as of when this came out, they included. Um, now there's about Friendly 10 pages. Friendly yeah. yeah, about 10 pages of reviews. Then they do a nice uh, question and answer of one of their local ASL celebrities, which is which is nice, gives you kind of a personal view. And then, <laughs> I, I love this part, they show L'Ecole Militaire, which is where they hold some of their tournaments. Yeah. In France. Now, we hold tournaments in this country <laughs> in the Holiday Inn. Not to say anything, there's nothing wrong with Holiday Inn, you know. That's all great. But, I mean, if you look at this, it looks... I know, it's They're holding incredible. these tournaments in these fabulous palaces from the yeah, 15th and 16th With fountains and, and pools and... Oh, my gosh. Uh, beautiful architecture. And, yeah. And there's the work from their cartoonist, who I enjoy a lot. Yeah, yeah, he's very good. Then there's some after-action reports, and you know what? I don't. Do you read the after-action reports? I kind of dutifully read everything. Uh, I do that with a lot of things. Wow. So I do, but yeah, they're not as exciting because you weren't there playing the game. Yeah. But I might appreciate it more. I'm sure they're short. If I had played the scenario and then read their after-action report to see how it compared, but in general, I don't really read those. Uh, then they have a great picture section from uh, Aslock of 2007 with Mark Pitkavich prominently featured. And Oh, that is Mark again. And he is uh, a prominent-looking guy, and I would say. I love the, the beard. That's yeah. you know, I'm sporting my beard right now. You look very nice. Months. Yeah, you want to go out later? Yeah, I will. Okay. I'll call with you, Jeff. Uh, then there are several nice uh, historical articles in this magazine. Yeah, they do a good job of mixing that they up. They do a great job. They obviously have done a lot of research on this. They've done a article here on the French motorized, motorized cavalry of the light cavalry divisions from May 1940, including a complete order of battle. Uh, I, I didn't even go through all this because it was really very detailed. A little more history than I needed. But if you like that kind of thing, dig it. Uh, also, a really interesting article about the French-Italian War in the Alps. Yeah, you don't hear a lot about that. Don't hear much about that at all. So... A lot of stuff going on there with the skis and the sledges and uh, st- all the stuff they had to deal with, all the snow. No elephants, though. <laughs> no, not at all. I loved this. They also have a piece on um, the uh, battle around the battles that occurred around Stone in France uh, in 1940, which was a village there. And they took some, I don't know if one of them is a pilot, but they flew overhead and took some aerial pictures and show they show the hedgerows and some of the other things. Then they actually lay out the board right geomorphically over the photograph. I, 
Can't beat that. Well said. Can't beat that. Yeah, it's so cool. It makes you think that they've actually laid out the countryside in all these hexes. Do you know I was thinking about a new segment we could do? Uh, it's like, you know, you play too much ASL when? Yeah. And then fill in the blank. And I realized, you know, you play too much ASL when you're driving across the countryside on your way to Ohio and all the clumps of trees start to look like hexes of trees. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, you play too much ASL when the car in front of you's license plate is G. 21, yeah. and number, number, and you're thinking the g- scenarios from yeah. the general. G21, let's see, which scenario is that? Yeah. 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 Uh, another historical article about the Franco-German infantry tactics, which uh, I didn't get all the way through. Again, a little more detail than, than I appreciate, but uh, certainly there for all you history buffs to love that kind of stuff. Also, a little uh, book review, which is always nice to have. Always nice. A scenario um, AAR of a campaign game of the, let's see, oh, Solitaire ASL historical campaign game. First Ranger Infantry Battalion in Anzio. Yeah. and oh, you, Did they make this campaign game? Did I you think know, they or? made this one, yeah. Have you ever played a Solitaire ASL? Yes. I've huh. played maybe six. I have them written down in my little. I think I asked you that one. Historical charts. Couldn't remember. Yeah, yeah. Did you like that? Yes, but I prefer someone to laugh with and to joke with yeah. when I'm playing. But so yeah, I haven't pursued it due to lack of time. But solitaire was okay. You found it challenging enough, and I think I did. Yeah, yeah. That'd be an interesting report sometime. I, okay, I can get back into it and do it. No, I sold yeah. it. I sold my solitaire. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, you did? I did. That's amazing because, yeah, it's very rare I will part with something ASL. That is very strange for you. Nice article in here about Gun Duel. There's your tactics and strategy, big yep. time. Yep. With the cartoons and the yeah. layouts, beautiful graphics. Yeah. Oh, and he runs those nice. cartoons at the bottom. Yes. And they go from each page, they continue a little story it's as they kind of like Mad Magazine. Yes. Along exactly. with yeah. ASL. Like Mad Magazine. In the margins of yeah. the cartoon. Just have to admire just about every page of this magazine. Yeah, very complete about uh, the tactics of the gun duel. They give examples. They have pictures. Really fascinating. And then also an article on platoon movement, which I found very useful for a recent scenario that I was playing, just to remind myself all about platoon movement, the ins and outs, the ups and downs. And the roundabouts. Yeah, we're, we're, on, we're on page 70. That's a lot of pages, too. And then uh, just some commentary, uh, interesting, like an editorial about playing fast and how to play faster. And, yeah. You know, forcing yourself to play faster, um, how much fun it can be, you know, to uh, not spend so much time getting with your analysis paralysis and uh, to move the game along at a good clip. It's very entertaining. And they talked article. about the timers in there, too, did they? Yes. Playing with the timer yeah. and, or what? I'm all for that. The more I think about it, yeah. Not not a timer, but playing faster. Yeah. In general. Even if you don't, and they say in here, don't consult the rule book. I mean, as little as possible. Just play. If you think you got the rule right, just go with it, maybe. Just play. And go back to the rule book afterwards. Also, dispersed throughout the magazine, lots of nice um, advertisements from various ASL suppliers and other gaming company suppliers. And finally, I mean, still going. Yeah, still going. A nice article on this 
the gigantic uh, French tank, which was the... Charby one? France's behemoth, the FCM-2C. Oh, FCM-2C. Which is actually a 75-ton tank, which has a crew of like 42 guys. (laughs) (laughs) They've got a cutaway here. And there's like, they've got like a dining room. There's a... (laughs) It's unbelievable. I don't know. There's eight or 10, 20 guys, 30 guys. No, I don't know. A lot of guys. (laughs) (laughs) But just amazing. So... That's LFT number 11, very and much. We oh, are fans, and, aren't we now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scenarios and a board. Scenarios let me see, let me see the board. board. Let me see the board. LFT1. Which is mainly a, a beach landing board, yeah. maybe. Ocean yep. with a one hex wide beach and a hex or two of hinterland yep. on the edge. Yep. Beautiful graphics. It's got that swirling water like we saw on the new Beyond Valor boards mm-hmm. also. Fantastic. And a board. And what are the scenarios? And uh, 10 scenarios. So all different kinds, not all related to beach landing. But here, grab a couple. A counterattack at Watson, some German SS and the French. So they all French? That's the theme, right? Yes. This is uh, French and Germans in France in 1940. And this runs the gamut. There's some... I guess they're all 1940. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, I have some SS and some non-SS here. Uh, One with a river, board 40, board 2, hill. I like that they include a little little notation in the upper right-hand corner on how long they think this scenario should take to play. Oh, they do. How did I not notice that so far in all the other ones we looked at? Which is kind of nice. Five hours, four hours hours, is probably accurate. Six hours. Six turns, four hours. That's about right. I played... um, Streets of Stalingrad a couple of weeks ago. We played teams of uh, two, so four of us Correct. all together. Yeah. And we played, let's see, we started at 7 o'clock Oh, have we segued night. into a played favorite scenario segment? No. I don't know, did we? Yeah, just now. So when did you start <laughs> playing this game? Well, we played a couple. Uh, Rich Spilkey and I played with a couple of Rich's friends. Uh, Rich and I played the Russians. Hi, Robbie. You oh. c- Hi. Yeah, yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are playing medieval, medieval Barbies. Barbie. Well, medieval warlords. We're pl- no, we're playing world. This is World War Two Barbies. We're just doing our show. Yeah, we have game components in our hands. Yeah. Is that like World of Warcraft, but for army people? Yeah, exactly. Well, nice T-shirt. Thank you. Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. Yeah. Girls will save the world. Yes, they will. Let's, let's hope. It's what the shirt says. It's not, you know, my motto. No. <laughs> I'm going to bed now. Oh, okay. Oh, do I have to leave now? Or Good can night, I stay? Listeners. Good night, listeners. Good night, Robbie. Good night, Robbie. And uh, whatever's on the stove can stay there. Okay. It, can I it, eat it? Yeah. Okay. Is the heat on it? It's off. Okay. But All right. it's sitting now. Okay. Good night. Thank Good night. You. Goodbye, everybody. Oh, and Jeff, I'll jump in looking at this FT-95 uh, scenario, Raining Bullets, the one I was describing with the river. It has 16 of the rafts, so you get to do raft rules. Raft rules. And I like raft rules. I know it's dicey, you know, if you don't if you sink them, the guys are in trouble, but yeah, it's got a raft scenario in it. Great. Well, just be, you know, and if all the rafts sink, then you play again. 
and the serial sure. play. Start yeah. again. Yeah. Just and you were going to segue into what did you play? Well, we played uh, Streets of Stalingrad, which is scenario C. Rich and I took the the Russians, and then the other two guys took the Germans. We started at seven o'clock. We ended at one seven o'clock in the evening. At seven o'clock in the evening, we what? played till one thirty. No, maybe two in the morning, and we got to turn beginning of turn four in seven hours. Yes, <laughs> sounds like a campaign game. Yeah. It was really fun, but I thought, wow, you know, and why? You'd wonder why. Why did it take so long? But I mean, the time does go. You don't really notice how slow it's going. <laughs> At least I didn't. I never really have a complaint about it, other than my only complaint about slow play is that I don't get through the scenario. I don't really mind that the play is slow. It's just it's that I nice. don't get through the scenario in a four-hour yeah, sitting. I want to get through the you scenario. You do. You do. You want to get through it, absolutely. And often I'll write down where every counter is and save the game. Yeah. Uh, but write down where every counter is on a sheet of paper and then slide it up on a shelf on plexiglass. So you start playing on plexiglass, you have the ability to save your game yeah. and stick it up on a shelf like I have sometimes done. But I'd like to finish it at night and... Sometimes you just got to take a risk and roll a die and go with it. Yeah, just go. Speed up the play. Yeah. But, uh, and Dave and I have been playtesting the HPs, Acapella, and there's some good ones in there. Looking forward to that coming out, but I can't talk about them. Yeah, don't. No. So that's what's in the box. That's it. Good stuff, Maynard. And now a word from our sponsor. Jeff. Jeff. Jeff, what are I'm you in, doing? I'm in here. What are you doing in here? I'm clipping counters. Using what? My nail clippers, Dave. I'm clipping counters. Jeff, Jeff, we've got to get to the tournament. People are expecting I know, us. I know, I know. Our, our fan base is there, Dave, Jeff. Dave, I oh, cannot oh. go to the tournament with ragged corners on my counters. Leave but, me alone. i got to clip these. But all, but all two of our listeners are there waiting uh, to I've hear I've only got us, 400 Jeff. counters to go. Give me... Can you come back tomorrow? No, 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 no. Here, 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 here. No, it won't take here, eight here. hours. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. I'm, Remember, the C4 corner cutter. Oh, the C4 corner cutter. I totally forgot. How could you have forgotten? Here, here it is. Take the C4, Jeff. I can cut hundreds of counters. Hundreds of counters. Line them up right in there. All right. Hold that blade. All right. Ready, go. Wow. Load in another five. There you go. This is amazing. Ten more. Oh my gosh. Another 10. Can anything be easier? This is fantastic. This is a miracle. How did I ever get by without a C4 corner cutter? You ready to go to the tournament? Dave, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Don't let ragged corners ruin your next squad leader tournament. Get a C4 corner cutter from Counterculture. When you order, mention the two half squads and they'll toss a dollar into the shipper. Yep, a buck in the box just for mentioning the two half squads. And there's no time limit on this offer. Something else, the C4 has gone retail, so check with your local hobby or game store to see if they have it. Speed up the tedious task of clipping counters one at a time. Get the C4 corner cutter. Less time clipping means more time gaming. And a buck in the box, too. For more info, just click the link on our show site. Dave, do you mind if I smoke? Not at all, Jeff. Go ahead and kill yourself. (laughs) No, I won't. Why don't you smoke? Why don't you tell us about smoke? We got we did smoke last time. Smoke part two. Smoke part two. Let's do and it. And we never got to white phosphorus. So let's dig in. Well, 
First of all, <laughs> white phosphorus is available to the United States, the British in 44, and I assume beyond. Oh, I didn't write that down. I'm, yeah, I assume so. Elite Japanese, the Chinese 537s, hmm. and others by special scenario rule only. Smoke exponent for white phosphorus. Now, these are the kind of like hand grenades again. Like in the last show, we covered infantry smoke. You throw in the street when you're moving. Remember the small counters. Right. What do we call those? The half-inch counters. This is still the half-inch white phosphorus. Okay. The smoke exponent number is one less when you throw white phosphorus. So the odds of having it are less. So you know how you have the exponent number on your counter. So, so if your exponent number is two... You have to roll a one. Down to a one. But what if the exponent is one? Down to a zero, I guess. How do you roll a zero? Don't know. You huh. can't because there's no minuses, so you just don't have it then. Okay. Now, the beautiful thing about white phosphorus is it causes a normal morale check when placed, except for a closed-topped tank, right, that's buttoned up. With no windows. With no windows, because yeah. the smoke can't get in. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So if it's buttoned up, <laughs> closed-top vehicle, not going to go in. So it causes a normal morale check for any units in the in the hex in which it is placed? Placed, correct. Okay. So if you place it, you don't want to be placing it in your own hex. No. For the most part. Yeah, like last, last show we talked about, you might move into the street, drop smoke in the street yeah. on yourself. And then move out so you get cover for the other guys. Yeah, right. Yeah, don't do that with white phosphorus. Okay, yeah, that makes no. sense. Yeah, don't make a mistake. Grab the wrong hand grenade. Oh yeah, grenade. that would be bad. I wonder if that happened. They should put that in the rules. Yeah, accidental white phosphorus use. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Like we need more rules. Now, you also take a morale check when you're hit by white phosphorus. Uh, or in the area target type. So the area target type will, you know, fills the whole upper levels. Right. You know, when you use an area target type, you're not just hitting the like the ground level. So the smoke, however, would would not affect anyone if it doesn't go up to that level. So the smoke for white phosphorus is a four level smoke instead of just a two. And that's the big smoke. Um. You know, I noticed Charlie is sitting. He's laying on the floor next to you, yeah. listening really intently to the show. Yeah, he can. He can never remember the uh, the white phosphorus rules. Kind of mess him up. He does need the help on those, doesn't yeah. he? So, um, the placement of the white phosphorus causes a normal morale check, but no, and it also causes DM to your broken units. You have okay, to put the counter mm-hmm. on them mm-hmm. again. And you said four levels. So if you throw if you throw it on the ground level of a building. They have to take a morale check upstairs? Yes, level... All the way up? Yes, to, to level ones three of the building. Now, yeah. right. Okay. And it will cause a loss of concealment. Mm-hmm. And if in line of sight of a good... Well, if in line of sight of a good order enemy, then they lose their concealment, ah, of okay. course, when they take the normal morale check. Probably yeah. like normal. Yeah. Uh, leadership, terrain effect modifier, and crew exposed diro modifiers... Are negatives to the morale check. Like normal. The, they're, yeah, that's normal. 
the way you phrase it, the way you put your emphasis on that. Negatives. I had to think about that for a second. And that's because, like, so the building protects you. Yeah. Your leaders still help you make your morale checks. Right. But if it's a critical hit, they are now positive morale checks. So what does that represent? So if, like, you're in a building and critical hit, maybe they threw the grenades through the windows. They're actually going off inside the enclosed space. So now the smoke can't expand or drift away as easily. Right. Now, a critical hit on a six of the... Oh, a critical hit happens when you roll six on your morale check on the colored die. So I get hit with smoke. I have to take a normal morale check. I have a six on my colored dice. That represents a critical hit. It's weird. It's way different. And it's hard hard to remember for yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, man. Did not... Didn't know that one. But it, I guess it's saying that... Yeah, I don't know. That's the way it's done. If you roll six on your morale check on the colored die... You now suffer a critical hit, and then that unit you you switch it up to. All right, let's think about that for a second, so we so we can understand it. Yeah. Okay, I'm done thinking about it. All right, let's move on. (laughs) I'll think about it more later. Maybe when I'm falling asleep tonight. (laughs) White phosphorus causes fires, but only if it's dry or very dry. Then you go to your normal checking for fire stuff. Okay. The placer of the white phosphorus would then roll for the checking uh, greater than or equal to the kindling number. During the movement phase, let's see if there's a fire. The normal environmental conditions do not apply, but there is a neg one if the environmental conditions are not very dry, and a neg two versus buildings. Just look it up when you're checking for fire. Okay. Uh, Look for dry or very dry, then you want to start looking for that part of it. The infantry smoke and infantry... Something. <laughs> infantry LVP, UVB up. Uh, anyway, infantry smoke does not drift. Oh, and infantry white phosphorus. That's what I oh. wrote. Do not drift. They're too short-lived to drift if there's a wind or anything. Oh, okay. So that's going to be my little segue into some smoke that will drift. Now, do they, uh, does white, I mean... Infantry smoke is removed at the end of the movement phase. Is white phosphorus removed at the end of the movement yep. phase also? All okay. the other rules apply unchanged to white phosphorus. Okay. So that's why there's no drift, because there's no, no it, chance for drift. It's short. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Now, if you look at rule 24.4, we get into conventional I'm smoke. I'm not going to look at that rule. You've already done that. And I, and I brought it with if we need okay. to double check it. I Ooh. stuck it right here in my little Ooh. handy 2 half squads folder. So it, the conventional smoke is a not white phosphorus. Is a two-level hindrance. Yeah. The smoke in a terrain or rec blaze hex is a four-level. It's burning better, I guess, if it's a rec or a terrain blaze, you know. Yeah, okay. That kind of smoke. And of course, they're, it's a, um, they're line-of-sight hindrances. Now, white phosphorus is still a four-level, much like the small hand grenade type of smoke for white phosphorus. And I've ri- written down here, even in a mild breeze, so apparently... Someone else's is not, but yeah. White dispersed smoke is fired. You know, this is the kind of firing from a gun or you know, a tank gun, a cannon. Yeah, it could be from OBA, but I didn't really get into OBA much in this article here at all. So you place you if you have a white dispersed uh, smoke on the board, that's the plus three side up. 
It's removed at the start of the owning player's next prep fire phase. The white smoke counters at that time are flipped over to the white dispersed side. Yeah. So they last a long time. Yeah. But if you fire them in the prep fire, now again, it's a plus three. The white phosphorus of the larger smoke, the five-eighths-inch counter smokes, are plus two. So, so let me go back. They're, they're less. Mm-hmm. If you fire these in the prep fire phase, they they, they remain there. Uh, white side up, not white dispersed. Si- right, non-dispersed, white side up. And they get flipped over to dispersed at the beginning of my next prep fire phase. Right, so it sits there through the whole enemy's turn. Through, through, through the, okay. And then next prep fire phase, or no, at the end of the, that turn, then they're removed. Uh, they get flipped to dispersed. Okay, go ahead. They, I probably interrupted. No, at the, no, I think you're right. At the next prep fire, they are then removed. Removed, okay. So placing them, since you can only place them full strength side up by ordinance or OBA in the prep fire phase, that's when you want to do it. Yeah. you really got to kind of plan ahead. And this bugged me when I first started playing squad leader. Okay, I'm going to fire my smoke now, you know, later on. Like a defensive fire or yeah, whatever? advancing fire. Or advancing no, fire. so it's not going to be full strength up. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then it disappears so fast. It just yeah. didn't seem to make sense to me. I guess it's probably hard to track when you placed them if you're allowing them to be full sight up at different times during the turn. So it could be just a convention to say, look, if it's in the prep, it gets down full strength. Otherwise, forget it. Yeah. You know, it gets too confusing as to when to flip it and tracking all that. It also has to be the first attack of a prep fire phase. So you got to, you can't, and again, it was a game I played with Bob. I mentioned on the air before when I, you know, he had a killer stack. I was all excited, pulled my tank up with smoke. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to smoke that group and then do my other movements or firing in the prep. And sure enough, forgot to do that. Started shooting machine guns at other people and ah. stuff. And then went, oh, I'm, I'm going to throw my smoke. No, you can't. It has to be the first action. Well, Bob was gracious, and uh, let me go back on that one. But it has to be the first action of the prep fire phase. Now, smoke, the smoke, much like the other smoke from last show, is not applicable in certain conditions. Do you remember what those might be, Jeff? Well, I would imagine uh, rain. Rain is correct. High wind. Heavy winds is Heavy correct. Wind, um, uh, at night? <laughs> no, you can, you can do it at night. Can you smoke at night? You can. Does it have effect? Yeah, they see the little glow and they shoot at you, though, when you're oh. out smoking. Uh, in foggy conditions? Fog is correct. Uh-huh. But that strikes me as a little odd, too. Really? Why can't you throw the smoke in the fog? But there's no difference. There's already some smoke. Yeah. Well, but the That's... smoke's more intense than the fog. Yeah, I guess. So maybe it's the moisture. Because you can't do it in rain. You can't do it in heavy wind. Yeah. You can't do it in mud or deep snow also. Okay. Except, of course, if you're going from within a building to within a building hex. Didn't we also say, like, you can't do it in sewers? Was that... Wasn't there terrain where you can't use smoke also? It wasn't listed here probably because you can't have a gun or a tank in a sewer. Oh. So there would be no way to fire it. Infantry smoke too, though, right? That, I think you were right. That was sewer. I'll have to go back and listen to that Yeah, you have to go back. I have my, my notes here on the top part. But <laughs> I don't remember. 
Why can't you pull your tank up to the sewer, have the men grab the back of it, tilt it up in the air from yeah. the rear so it points down into the sewer, and then launch smoke into our big five-eighths-inch counter smoke. I would do. I would want to do that. I'd be aching to do that. That would be cool. Yeah. Now, you use white counters for original smoke source and gray counters for drifting smoke. Mild breeze. So now you got to look at your wind. If you have a mild breeze, it causes dispersed smoke at during the game's first rally phase. So I guess if you just set up a game and there's smoke on board in the first rally phase, you would go ahead and get your smoke spread out there. Okay. But for most purposes, it's the start of every advance fire phase. So if you fired it in prep, it would in the next advanced fire phase, it would drift with the wind. Okay. So I like that. It gives you a kind of time sequence effect there. Yeah. You know, you only hit the hex, you shoot it in, and then a little later in the game, turn, it starts to spread and out. And it there. drifts one hex? Per plus. Oh, per plus on it's the wind. Easy to remember. Yeah. Per plus of the smoke counter. So the normal smoke was plus three. Mm-hmm. It goes three hexes. The oh. white phosphorus full strength was plus two. The dispersed sides were correspondingly less. So dispersed smoke drifts less. Okay. Because it's dispersed. It's not as strong. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to remember that. Let's hope so. Now, of course, the smoke drifts downwind of the wind. Now, drifting is the same smoke as the same levels as the original smoke, so it just blows straight across. Mm-hmm. Uh, the It's never a hindrance below the original location of the smoke, so if you shot smoke on a level one hill and it's drifting across, it does not drift down to the ground level. Just go straight across, <laughs> straight across. When the original counter flips, it also then reduces the number of the drift counters because it went from a plus three to, to a, a plus, plus two, two, and then there's only two, and it yeah. works its way down. And wreck and terrain smoke is the same, although there's no smoke counter needed for the original source. When you have a flaming wreck there, you don't have to put a smoke plus three counter on top of it. It's assumed inherent there. Okay. And I'm not going to do much with wreck and terrain smoke. I didn't read about that. And maybe we'll just do fire, spreading fire on a, a different show and maybe cover the smoke again then for that. But it's mostly the same. Yeah. Then there's gusts. Now, I always kind of thought that gusts remove all smoke, but it said it flips the white smoke to a dispersed side mm-hmm. and removes a dispersed smoke mm-hmm. in the rally phase. And again, in the advanced fire phase. So if it's full strength, it just gets half. And if it's half, it gets removed. Okay. gusts earlier during the rally phase. Yeah. Right. So they don't drift. They get removed. Correct. Well, they would. uh, Yeah. If they're removed, there'd be no drifting then, too. Now, as far as tactics of the smoke goes, we covered that a lot last time. Mm -hmm. The, once again, hit killer stacks with the smoke, right? Yeah. Any kind of big threat to your your side, and use them to slow down enemy movement by placing smoke. It costs the extra movement point to go through. Uh, use white phosphorus for morale checks 
and higher level coverage. So if you have someone that's higher up in the building, well, you want to use Dwight Phosphorus. It goes up four levels. Mm -hmm. And that's all I got for tactics on the big smoke. Well, let's go play. Let's play a game. Yeah. Let's have a tutorial. Oh, that's a good idea. I have a 12-minute tutorial. Again, it's a very simple little thing. And we just tack it on here at the end. Anything else for this show, Jeff? No, I think that'll cover it. All right, let's go to my tutorial. All right. This is the Smoke Tutorial Part 2, and I'm Dave. All right, I've set up board one. And to do this little tutorial, and it's a very simple thing, I must admit. <laughs> a simple man with a simple thing for you. Put a Stoog 3G in 07 on board one with its covered arc N606. And I've placed another great smoke-throwing tank. The Panzer IV-H happens to be the one that came out of the box. In hex M1, covered arc, vehicle and turret, L1-M2. I've placed a 467 and M3, a 467 and M4, and a 467 and M5. Across the street, in the building that must be taken, we have a 628 in K4, that's a Soviet, and a Russian Soviet, Soviet, K5, 628. So there's two 628s blocking the path of the three German first-line troops that must cross the street. Now, I could opt to just prep fire my tanks with high explosives to try and knock out that infantry, since they both have a bead on either hex. But instead, since it's a smoke tutorial, I'm going to look on the back of my counter of my Stug, or do you say Stug, in 07. It has an S8 on the back and an SD7. Well, an SD7 is a smoke dispenser, and that's, since that's not what this tutorial is about, we're going to try S8, the smoke availability number. If I look on the back of my other tank, the Panzer IV, I see an S8 also. So they both have smoke capability of 8. Now I want to take a look at my handy-dandy ASL charts for a to-hit number. If I look at chart C3, the to-hit table, I find that area fire, which in parentheses says mortar, smoke, will tell me just what I will need to secure a hit. Now both of these vehicles are at a 0 to 6 range. Looking down the chart, I see a 7. Then you always need to check and see what modifications you have still on the C3 chart. So, glancing down below the 0 to 6 range, I see an L weapon. That's what I have. Both things have a 75L. That is no modification at a 0 to 6 hex range. It is not APDS, it is smoke. Yes, it is. It's not less than 57 and it's not less than 40. So, smoke, I see I add a plus 2. That goes to the to hit number. So my 7 becomes a 9. Much nicer. I need a 9 or less to secure a hit with smoke. This will also use up all my rate of fire. You don't get rate of fire with smoke. So just forget about even trying to get it. 
Let's say it's the prep fire phase. So what other modifiers will I have to take into account here? Well, none of these fire-based ones with outside covered arc or advanced firing phase, bounding uh, Cs, going to case D wouldn't apply, E, F. Let's look at anything buttoned up. I would account here for firing my smokes. My tanks are buttoned up. But looking down at the target base. Now we see normally you'd include the plus three for the building, but no. Area fire has a red cross symbol by it and it does not count terrain effect modifier. Also wouldn't count point blank range if I was any closer to the building than I am within one or two hexes, but I'm not. So but even, even if I was that close, it wouldn't count in this case. So to fire this smoke, on the back of my counter, I had an S8. That's its uh, availability number. So I'm going to roll my dice, which I don't even have out, but I won't even pretend to roll. Ching-a-ling, rolled my dice. Oh, look. If I had a, a 7, so my stug has smoke in the prep fire phase. A 7 will hit, and if I had rolled a 9, I would not have smoke, and I could not have it again. Had I rolled an 8, I would have smoke for this round, but not for the next round, which, roll my dice to prep fire my Panzer 4H. Oh, I rolled an 8, so it has smoke for this shot only, and it will be out of smoke for the rest of the game. Now, the firing of the smoke has to be the first thing that you do in the round. So you can't fire... Uh, the infantry, but I don't want to. They're going to be moving anyway because I have to take this building. Uh, you can't fire, I'm assuming, the machine guns on the tanks and then fire the smoke. The smoke has to happen first in the phase. These tanks, for some reason, did not fire on those Russians in the final fire phase. So they did not acquire the buildings. Had they acquired the buildings, you would be able to use that for this shot. But Firing smoke itself does not allow you to acquire. But if they had previously done it, they could use it here. Now with those hits, I place a smoke counter from the Stug or Stug into K5. It's a white smoke counter at plus 3 and a level 2. And I place another one in K4 from the Panzer IV. Right on top of those Russian counters... Smoke's really my best option here if I have to assault this building. If I hadn't acquired those buildings and I'm rolling to hit with high explosives with a plus three for the building, the plus one for buttoned up. Oh, I forgot to add my plus one for buttoned up, I think, to when I made my rolls to have smoke or to hit. So let's just pretend I hit with both smoke. Um, you know, the odds of hitting them with high explosives in a first prep fire phase and then getting a result are difficult. So smoke's a great choice in this situation. Now it's time to move. So the Germans begin their assault into the building. I would move M3 to L3, I suppose, assault uh, moving. And the Russian would be firing out of smoke, which adds an additional plus one. So he's faced with a plus four with the assault move. There's no neg modifier, so he rolls the dice, comes up with a... Roll with a plus four is not going to do much, if anything. I would take my M4 to L4, assault move, and probably my M5 to L5, assault move, facing the first and subsequent fire from K5 in each different hex. And then I would probably, someone would subsequent their 628 and K4 into L4, 
in subsequent fire or hold it for final fire to no avail. It's still a plus four. This smoke is not like infantry smoke. It does not leave at the end of the movement phase. So it's now the end of the move, and these Russians, had they held their fire, are now still firing at a plus four. So this conventional smoke is much better than the infantry smoke. Now, oh, looky there. There is a hidden Russian 458 up on level two in hex K5. That hidden squad appears, and he can now fire down. He's at level two, and the smoke is level two. So is his shot obscured? Yes, it's obscured down to L5. But if he were to fire at an opponent, let's say in M5 or L6, up at level 2, his fire would then be going straight across the top of the smoke and would not be modified, as we mentioned in the last podcast. So, the hidden guy does still have to pay uh, the plus for shooting out of the smoke here. Well, he fires with the plus 3 uh, not firing out of smoke, because he's not really in the smoke, but he is shooting through the smoke. So he would fire, the hidden guy would fire down at a plus three instead of the plus four. In my photograph, if we get the photographs up, I have um, you know, spread out my big stack now in K5. Don't get confused, there's no one in J4. Uh, so it's advancing fire. The Germans all can fire, but yeah, they're looking at a plus three for smoke. And a plus three for those stone building. And they're looking at a plus six. Not going to be much effect here. So let's assume they all advancing fire um, with no effect. But, oh, look, a wind counter was on the board. We didn't notice it earlier. So there is a wind that's blowing, well, I put the counter in J2, blowing toward K2. Uh, I didn't determine directions on this board, so let's say... North is going straight up, so that's going northeast, and so something happens to this smoke at the start of the advance fire phase. So before those Germans can fire, now if there's a mild breeze, this wouldn't be happening if there were not one, we're going to place dispersed smoke. In the three hexes in the direction the wind is blowing. Now they have gray sided for the dispersed smoke. I also have some counters that have white on both sides. White on dispersed, white on regular smoke. But I don't know why they're different. There must have been different sets of games. But you take the gray dispersed if you got it. Or either way, dispersed smoke goes in the three hexes. So from K4, place your dispersed First smoke in L3, one in M3, one in N2. From the smoke in K5, place a dispersed in L4, M4, and N3. That's your wind blowing your smoke. The reason it's three, as we said, is it's a plus three smoke, so it goes three hexes back. Nice and easy to remember, huh? Now let's pretend that oh the Stug had fired its smoke uh, previous to the, well, in any phase other than its prep fire phase. 
So if that happens, you simply turn the counter over. You, you place it as a dispersed smoke. And then, if the wind was blowing, since the dispersed side has a plus 2 on it, you would only place dispersed smoke in L4 and M4. So that was if it's a, already a dispersed smoke placed as a dispersed. It's kind of weird, you know, like we said. you got to fire it in the prep to get the full effect of the smoke. But anyway, that's a quick little tutorial on conventional smoke placement, not counting white phosphorus and... There's more to do with all these, and we'll try and get another one to you shortly. So thanks for tuning in. Hope it's helpful. Well, that was very informative, Dave. Well, thanks. Just trying to help everyone learn the game better to the best of my abilities and our abilities. I'm so happy to admire your tutelage. Tutelage. I like that word. Tutelage. <laughs> and Good. the tutorial is a little... Well, it's people liked it. It seemed like so. Again, if yeah, you, it's beyond some players, but we'll just keep them coming because we got new people to train. That's right, and uh, the tutorials are really very, very handy. I get so much out of those in the rule book itself, and listening to these tutorials and going, going along with you, very informative. They're very helpful. God bless you, Dave. Well, thank you. So I guess that wraps it up for episode thirty-four. Yes, it does. Thanks, everybody, for listening as usual, and uh, we hope you'll join us again next time for another exciting episode. Who knows what's going to happen? We sure don't. <laughs> we, have, we, have no, we didn't know it was going to happen this one. We actually have so much stuff, we just can't get to it all. Yeah, it's overwhelming. So, uh, But we'll figure it out. Anyway, stay with us, and we'll see you next time. And remember to roll low. And may the dice snuck. <laughs> and rally well. Yes, rally well. But, but not, not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Boy, that was a little throwback. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>